everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. I hope you all are doing well. None of us here are at snow camp, which is kind of a bummer, but I'm kind of glad I got sleep last night. So there's kind of a it's kind of good and bad in there. Now, I'm not saying don't go to snow camp, okay? Next year go to snow camp, but still. All right, uh, well, this morning uh, I'm going to be teaching on Mark 5, um, verses 25 through 34. This is an incredible story. I absolutely love this story. I'm not a, a typically emotional person. I don't get emotionally worked up a lot, but this story gets me emotional. Typically, sometimes I'll start crying whenever I read this one because I think it's so meaningful and there's a lot going on in the background there. Uh, The subject matter is a little bit heavy, but we're all adults here. Uh, We can handle it. Um, So if you guys would turn to Mark 5, I'm going to start, I'm going to start by setting up some context before we dive into the verses, okay? So before we get into today's passage, here's what's going on. Jesus is traveling around the countryside. He's, perf- he's performed a couple miracles up to this point, and word is starting to get out that Jesus has showed up on the scene, and he's performing miracles, and people are starting to get curious, and they're starting to come out of the woodwork. So we're told before uh, today's passage that Jesus lands um, after traveling in a boat onto the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And when he does that, people come out of the woodwork, like Jesus you know, his foot hits the sand and everyone, and everyone flocks to go see Jesus. So what happens is this huge crowd has gathered and they're, all, uh, based on what the text tells us, they're kind of hanging out there for a little bit. I'm not sure doing what. But this man comes to Jesus with a request. He pushes through the crowd and he says, I have a daughter that needs help. Will you come heal her? Jesus agrees to it. And so this whole, Jesus starts to travel with this man, and this whole crowd is following him, and we're told that the crowd is pressing in on him. You can, so you can imagine, almost like, I don't know, like if, this is a really dumb analogy, like if Taylor Swift was walking down Arlington Road, everyone comes out of the woodwork, and they're like pushing and shoving and fighting and throwing elbows, trying to like get a view to see what, yeah, I'm getting some head nods, to see what's going on, right? So, Jesus is probably getting ping-ponged around. It's, it, it's kind of an intense scene is what we're picturing here, okay? So here's what happens, and I'll start reading uh, in verse 25. I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll, we'll sort of break this down verse by verse. Um, so they're traveling, starting in verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? 
and he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and in trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Like I said, I love this passage. It's a beautiful story. It has a remarkable redemptive ending. Uh, it shows the tenderness and love of Christ. It shows his mercy. It shows us his willing to save. It is a beautiful ending. It's filled with joy and healing. And it's also a beautiful picture of the gospel. And so today we'll unpack that together. Um, so let's go through this uh, and, and, and pull this apart verse by verse. Um, before I do that, just a quick Side of fries, I'm stepping away for a minute. Uh, sorry. In our small group, we meet at McDonald's, so when we go off topic, we say we're getting a side of fries. The, the gospel never tires for us, for those who believe and follow in the Lord Jesus. We, are, we never outgrow hearing and learning the gospel. So if you ever hear, like, people all the time in church complain about, oh, we're not going deep enough, we just hear the gospel every week. Yeah, amen, praise the Lord you're hearing the gospel every week, because that is necessary. In fact, when Paul wrote all of his letters to the churches in the New Testament, every single time he restates the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, which, uh, I'm paraphrasing, which I already preached to you, which you've already believed, Okay. Back to, our, back to our lesson here. So that's just a little something for you guys. Remember that hearing the gospel is not something that grows old for us, okay? So let's talk about the woman for a, for a moment. Uh, let's talk about her lowly and broken life. Uh, starting in verse 25, um, let's start talking about her lonely and broly, broken life. Verse 25, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, I don't need to explain in detail what her disease is. I think we're all on the same page. The point is, this is a disease that's specific to, to, to women, and it's relatively unsavory. But the reason we're talking about this is because it has some implications. Uh, culturally, according to the law that God gave to Moses in Leviticus, just for those of you who care, if you want to Google it, we, we, we usually refer to this as Levitical law. Don't get caught up on that. Okay, come back with me. The laws that Moses gave in Leviticus, if, if a woman was in this circumstance, she was considered unclean and impure, and there were practices for um, amending that, and there's, there's, there's all kinds of rules and regulations. Uh, if, if you care deeply about that, you can go and, and research that yourself. But the point is, is that she, so because this has been going on for 12 years, she's in this constant state of untouchability, impurity, so there are a couple implications. Number one, it's very likely that she was unmarried and had no children, which would have been shameful back in the day. That would have been awfully, um, um, I'm trying to think of a, a comparison in modern culture. The point is that it was considered uh, shameful or a blight on her life, right? So married, not married, probably doesn't have kids. It's likely that she was a social outcast. She probably could have even been cut off from her family. She couldn't go to the temple. She couldn't go to the synagogue, so church back then. Uh, 
there are many other things. You, so you can let your imagination run wild. The point I'm getting at is the disease is bad enough in and of itself, but there are social and cultural things attached to it which makes her position infinitely more um, pitiable, if you were. It makes her much more lowly and broken. Uh, I can't imagine the kind of... Uh, um, I can't imagine going through that. So, and again, this is a 12-year problem. She's been dealing with this for 12 years, okay? So, please um, remember that as we continue uh, uh, all the things aside from her disease that are impacting this situation. So, let's talk about her desperation. Verse 26, verse 26. Um, sorry, there's a woman she had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So here we get an insight into the desperation of this woman. Total and complete desperation. She has consulted many doctors to help her. Nothing has worked. The passage says that she suffered much. I think if you do any kind of reading on uh, ancient history or medicinal practices, a lot of the things that they did were not obviously not rooted in complex science like we have today, so they were doing some strange things. It's very possible that what was being done to her was painful, maybe. It clearly exhausted all of her money because she's paying all these, all these uh, physicians to help her, but it was probably painful. It could it disrupting to her life. I'm not entirely sure. I didn't research that, but again, uh, we're told that she suffered much. Um, I cannot imagine how much this would emotionally and mentally wear on a person. Like you guys in this room, like 10 minutes of homework and you're, 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 like, you're like crying. You're like, I'm ready to go to bed. I'm done for today. This woman's had 12 years of this disease which has impacted her social life and her, her living. Um, I can't imagine, like severe depression severe anxiousness, questioning, why? Why am I continuing to deal with this? It's been 12 years. There is no relief in sight. Nothing has worked. Why, God? Why is this happening? So the mental state of her is just one of pure desperation. There's a deep-rooted, there's got to be a deep-rooted pleading in her heart every day that her affliction would go away. So that concludes our analysis there of the woman, so we'll recap. At a minimum, she's unclean, according to God's laws in Leviticus, an outcast, unmarried, no children, suffering at the hands of physicians. She has no money. She's desperate. Bottom of the barrel for this poor woman. Uh, praise the Lord that Jesus is about to do something about that. Let's talk about the woman's actions Verses 27 and 28. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. Garment. For she said, If I touch even his if if I even touch his garments, I will be made well. So there's verses in verses 28, 27, and 28. That is her action. She hears about Jesus and his miracles, and she decides, I'm going to go to him and do something about this because he is the only chance that I have of being healed. Um, again, imagine the situation. You have this massive crowd following Jesus. They're all pushing and shoving and 
there's probably yelling going on and the disciples are trying to like chaos. And this woman, remember again, she's unclean. Anyone she touches is considered unclean. She's, I'm done, I've had it, I need Jesus. So she probably powers through this crowd. I mean, this woman's probably throwing elbows and punching people in the face. I, I, I don't know. But I think we can assume that in her desperation, she's taken an extreme measure to get to Jesus. Okay? That the statement that she said, that, that it goes through her mind in verse 28, for even if, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. I want to focus on that for a minute because there are many implications, many things that we can learn about her heart and her attitude from that statement. Um, yeah, we can tell several things about her heart and her attitude towards Jesus. One, she clearly recognizes and believes in Jesus' power. Clearly she believes with her whole heart that Jesus can heal her. She's heard the reports. She is fully committed to the idea that Jesus can heal her. That's very evident. Even if I touch his garments, I'll be made well. She fully believes that in her heart. This is the second thing we can tell about her. Um, she recognizes and believes in Jesus as God. Right? I, there's me personally... I would never ever go up to someone and expect to touch them and be healed unless I believed that they had some uh, element of divine power within them or about them. So she recognizes and believes in Jesus as God because, of course, only God could do something as miraculous as heal her from this disease that's lasted for 12 years. Third thing, she has unprecedented, unlimited faith in Jesus. She is completely convinced that Jesus is, like I said, that she believes in his power, she believes he's God, and she has faith that Jesus will do it. All she wants to do is touch his clothes. She doesn't even think she needs to speak to him or lay hands on him or anything. If I can just touch him, I'll be healed. In her mind, she's thinking he's so powerful and so good, all I have to do is touch him. Now, What's interesting, she's a little bit wrong in the sense that she thinks Jesus is like a battery where you touch it and power comes out, which, which isn't how this works, and we'll, we'll pull apart this a bit in a little bit. But um, she, she seems to think that Jesus almost has like no control over his power, basically, that you can touch him almost like he's a magic rock, right? Um, and we'll pull apart why that's not the case. But that seems to be in her mind. That's what she's thinking. But whether or not she's misled about this point is not the issue. The issue, the point is, the thing that Jesus cares about, as we'll see, is that her faith is accurately placed in Christ and in, in his power to heal. Her faith is the, is the component here. Not, what, whether or not she's right about how this whole thing works that's the crux of this whole thing. The faith, is, the faith is what Jesus responds to. The faith is why Jesus shows her so much love and tenderness. The faith is why Jesus heals her. Again, the faith is the, the hinge on which this whole story revolves. Okay? So there's, that concludes our analysis of the woman. We talked about her, her lowly life. We talked about her, um, her um, oh my goodness, forgive me, her, her desperation, and now we talked about her actions. So let's, let's move to Jesus because now, now we sort of shift focus to Jesus after she goes up and touches him.
So let me read uh, verses uh, 29 through 32. So she touches his garments, verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, excuse me, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he, Jesus, looked around to see who had done it. So like I said, the story now shifts to Jesus as kind of the character that we're focusing on on right now. Um, The woman was right. She was dead right. All of her faith was accurately placed. Her faith in Christ, him as Lord, him as um, God, all of that was accurately placed. And so I can imagine after she touched him and felt that, you know, that healing power immediately, I can't imagine how validated you'd feel after that. Like you're, you're completely relying on faith and that it happens and you're like, oh my goodness gracious, what in the, like I knew it was gonna happen, but wow, it did. I can't, like I almost can't believe what I, blo- what I believed. That, w- that would have been an amazing, amazing and incredibly emotional moment for her, but I'm sorry, I'm still talking about the woman. We're trying to talk about Jesus here. Okay, Charles Spurgeon said this. Charles Spurgeon, old pastor from London, he was a beast. Charles Spurgeon said this, but here is the marvel of it. Little as was her knowledge, right, her, her, her incorrect idea about how Jesus' power worked, little as was her knowledge, her faith because it was real faith, saved her and saved her at once. There was no delay. Faith's miracle was instantaneous. So what Spurgeon is basically saying was, is, 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 is recapping what I'd said earlier, because it was real faith, the faith saved her immediate. No delay. The faith, the, the faith is what produced the miracle, Jesus healing her. I want to quickly explore, I said I would get to it, I want to click, quickly explore this idea of power coming out of Jesus quickly because it can be kind of confusing. I already said that Jesus wasn't like a magic stone where you could just, boop, there goes my headache. Jesus doesn't work like that. So, so why, does this, why does the passage say that? Why, do, why are we told uh, that, that this, why does it seem like it works that way based on what it says? Okay, Jesus is always in complete control of his power and will. When the woman touched Jesus' robe, in that very moment, he willfully, consciously healed that woman. Again, remember, there are people, imagine the scenario, keep, keep remembering the scenario. There are hundreds of people, and they're throwing elbows and pushing and shoving. Jesus is probably bouncing among people, and, you know, it's not like people are, miraculous things are happening every time Jesus hits into someone. We're told about one specific circumstance where a woman's healed at touching Jesus. So Jesus is complete in complete control of his power. If it was drained, it would have been drained a thousand times there in the last, you know, you know X amount of time where this, these events are happening. One commentator wrote this. I really liked the way that he summarized this. He said, this does not mean that the power went forth independent of his own will. His healing power did not work automatically like a battery discharging its power. Jesus perceived in himself, he perceived the significance of the woman's touch, 
and actively willing to honor her faith, he was immediately conscious of his healing power going toward her. Hopefully that makes sense. That's a little bit difficult to understand, but we are to believe that Jesus sensed her faith and healed her immediately, so the, so the sensation was more about her, you know, his, 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 his consciousness, his will, um, worked because of her faith touching her. Hopefully that makes sense. Again, that's, that's a difficult thing to understand. So there's, there's a little bit of an explanation on how Jesus' power works here. Um, I don't want anyone to get the impression that Jesus had, was out of control of his power, okay? Second thing, his question, verses 30, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, verses, yeah, verses 30 through 32. The second half of verse 30 says, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Does anyone in here think that Jesus, God in the flesh, creator of all things, all-powerful, all-knowing, didn't know who touched him? No, of course not. Jesus knew exactly who touched him. So I want to emphasize this. Jesus does this all the time, by the way. If you read your New Testament, Jesus always asks questions that he knows the answer to, the answer to for a reason. He's trying to evoke some reaction or some statement. You ever heard of a hypothetical question? You know, you're asking this not because you need to know the answer, but because you're trying to, you're trying to do something clever with the question. Jesus does this all the time. So Jesus says, who touched my garments? He, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knows everything at every time. Nothing is outside of his understanding. He wasn't asking the question because he didn't know. He was doing it for a purpose. The question, and, and again, the question doesn't make any sense because the disciples, disciples know that. Look at verse 31. The disciple says, the, uh, the disciple, I'm so sorry. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? They're like, Jesus, there's only been like 500 people in the last 10 minutes that have bumped into you. What do you mean, who touched you? So the question doesn't make sense to the disciples because they're, they're dumb. They don't realize what Jesus is doing. Um, so Jesus is asking He's saying this on purpose to draw her out of the crowd and have an encounter with her. She was expecting to be healed and then just peace out, but Christ had other plans. Um, another commentator wrote this. You've heard of a dine and dash, right, where people will eat and then just leave without paying. He's, the commentator says, you've heard of dine and dash. Well, this was a failed attempt at heal and dash, Oh, what a contact that was made between a believing sufferer and an almighty savior. When her dilemma, her problem, her disease met his dedication, a miracle occurred. He wanted to be more than a healer to her. He wanted to be her savior and friend. He wanted her to look into his face, feel his tenderness, and hear his loving words. So Jesus is asking this question to pull this woman out of the crowd. He wants to know her. He wants to interact with her. Okay, let's move on to the woman's confession. Verse 33, follow along. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him 
the whole truth. This is the part where I start crying every time. Imagine the circumstance. She touches Jesus, immediately healed, probably one of the most overwhelming feelings a human being could ever experience is being miraculously healed by God himself. She's probably laying on the ground like, like she just can't believe it. Um, and so Jesus asks this question, and she thinks, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Uh, who knows what's going through her head? The point is, she knows that now she has become the center of attention here. In this, The uh, crowd dead stops. Jesus is like, who touched my robe? And I imagine everyone's like, yeah. Right, total, total silence. That's what I'm picturing is happening here. And everyone's looking around like, who did this? Now she's the center of attention. And she comes, and she falls before Jesus trembling, we're told, trembling, in fear and trembling, and she told him the whole truth. What a miraculous heart this woman has. Once again, we're seeing several things about the perception of herself and her perception of Christ. She comes before him with fear and trembling, so she recognizes Jesus as God. God just called me out. She recognizes Jesus as powerful. It's her authority. She senses her own unworthiness. Remember, she's unclean, and she just touched Jesus, which was, again, an amazing act of faith. But when you think about the laws, you know, maybe that wasn't the best idea. Maybe in that moment she went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I just made a mistake. So her heart is fully humble, fully submitted to Christ, fully tender. Jesus' response, verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This is the only sentence that Jesus says to her, at least the only sentence that we have recorded. It's not one of rebuke. He's not angry with her. He's not upset with her. He doesn't shame her for thinking, he doesn't say, hey, you just made me unclean. That's not how this works. He rejoices in her faith. He calls her daughter, which is just an expression of tenderness and, and love beyond comprehension. Okay, I don't have kids. Brad, you have a couple daughters. You know, you know what's going on here. The, the, hey, yeah, an absolute expression of love beyond something that even I can comprehend right now. Uh, we are to understand that a couple different things are going on in this verse. We, we see Christ's love for her, his tenderness for her. He willingly healed her. Mercy unending. But there, this, this verse, what Jesus says to her, has a double meaning. Not a double meaning. Yeah, kind of a double meaning. Jesus has healed her body. Yes, that's true. Her disease has been healed. The flow of blood dried up. Jesus healed her. But beyond that, it's evident that Jesus healed her of her spiritual need as well. We are to understand in this passage that this woman is saved and adopted by the living God. That Jesus credited to his account All of her sin in that moment. Daughter, your faith has made you well. It made you well physically. It made you well spiritually. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. 
Go in peace. Be at peace. You are right with me, and you are right with God. So some people disagree. I, people got problems with everything. We believe this because of her faith in Christ. We believe that she was saved because of her faith in Christ. We've covered twice now. We see that she believes in Jesus as God. Um, recognizes power. She recognizes authority and his Lord. Um, he calls her daughter. Jesus isn't calling anyone daughter who's not a part of the kingdom of God. This only makes sense. Um, John MacArthur said this, the Lord's calling her daughter indicates that he received her as a child of his kingdom. She was restored physically, socially, and spiritually through the grace and personal power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So your faith has made you well, is, uh, is healed. Uh, your faith has made you well, is fulfilled in two senses here. So again, remarkable story a remarkable expression of the love and the tenderness and the power and the mercy of Christ. He heals the woman's body. He heals her spirit. So as we close, I have a couple things to consider. I have three truths that I want you to consider as we leave here today. For those of us in this room that have a personal relationship with Christ uh, there's three truths we can be reminded of and can strengthen us and can encourage us. Number one, Jesus has adopted you as sons and daughters. If you have your faith put in G truly put in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted as a son and a daughter, and you are promised all of the inheritance and the joy that comes with that. God loves you. He considers you his own, a, a son and a daughter. I mean, that's, that's literally your own flesh and blood. That's how God considers you. I'm calling out Brad again. Uh, I, again, I don't know this yet. I don't have kids yet. But if you have a child, I imagine that there's nothing that they could do that would make you love them less Okay? That is how God feels towards those who belong to him. Be encouraged by that. Number two, our faith is what makes us well. This is a repeated theme throughout the New Testament. Our faith is what saves us. Our faith is what Christ looks to. Our faith is what redeems us. Well, Jesus redeems us, but our faith is the avenue through which that happens, right? Our faith is what Christ looks at and says, I now credit all of your sin to my account. Our faith is what makes us well. Not our works, not our performance, not how, um, not, if, not, not if our theology is all intact, if, 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 if we're, the list is endless. People have made up an, a litany of excuses through the years to explain away gospel truth. Our faith is what makes us well. Our faith is what makes us well. Be encouraged by that. And lastly, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are at peace with God. You are at peace with God. Romans says, having been justified by faith, there's truth too, having been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been saved. We have been redeemed. God looks at us and sees Jesus' righteousness. He does not see our sin. He does not see our weakness. He does not see our failure. We have peace with God. The, the Bible calls it enmity, the conflict, the, uh, what's another good word? The strife between us and God is healed. We are at peace with God if you put your faith in Christ. So those are three truths to consider for those of us in this room. I hope those are encouraging to you. I hope those calm uh, some fears and some questions that you may have. Lastly, if you are here and you do not know Christ, like I talked about already, this story is a picture of the gospel. Jesus heals us and saves us from our sin. He saves us from the punishment and the wrath of God. This story is a beautiful picture of what it means to be saved and what Christ can accomplish. Just like the woman had. She has this disease for, you know, for, for 12 years. It will not go away. She has a disease. All of us, at one time, for if, if, you, if, if you do not know Christ, you have this disease. If you do know Christ, you had this disease. The disease is sin. All of us had an incurable, incon- unconquerable disease that needs the authoritative healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those that come to Christ, like this woman did, feeling unworthy, longing to be healed of their disease, so again, with the analogy, we're talking sin, out of a desperate need for cleansing, recognizing Jesus as God, recognizing him as Lord and our King, for those that come to Christ like this, Christ has mercy on you. Christ is willing and able to heal you of your sin, to credit all of that to your account. There is healing and forgiveness available. Credit to Jesus' account, I'm sorry. I said credit to your account. That's not right. Credit to Jesus' account. There's healing and forgiveness available. Christ is merciful and kind and ready to adopt you as a son or a daughter to grant eternal life and every spiritual blessing that comes with adoption. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you are not right with God, if you are not promised the joys of eternal life in heaven with Christ, If that desire is on your heart, I would encourage you to come talk to me. You got Mitch back there. You got Brad back there. We have other leaders in the back. We got, go talk to them. Learn how you can know that you can be right with God and that you can know Christ as Savior. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. I pray that as we read our Bibles and we read stories like this, that we would just focus in on the character of Christ and who he is and remember his kindness and his tenderness and his love and his healing power and his redemptive power. I thank you that all of us in this room are adopted, who know you are adopted as sons and daughters. What a joy that is. I thank you that our faith and our faith alone is what Jesus looks at to credit our sin to his account. Our faith is what makes us well. It's not rooted in anything inside of, uh, inside of us or our performance. Salvation is that simple. 
our faith in Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you that we are at peace with you. Pray if there's anyone here in this room who does not know you, that you would uh, lay upon their heart that desire. I pray that all of us, as we go and spend the remaining time in our weekend, that we would honor you with our time, with our resources, with our speech, and with our actions. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. Thank you, everyone. Good morning and citizens.